Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to the this the episode. I have no idea what the number is, and we don't have time to figure it out. Uh, it's the boys' night episode, because Andrea's not here. Um, it's going to be just the boys. Boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. Yeah, um, you'll never be able to. That was, that was good. Well, thank you. Um, that's not what I was about to say, but uh, thanks, Kenny. Uh, that was unnecessarily kind. Or extremely sarcastic, but I'm going with kind. So, um, tonight we're going to talk about boy stuff, which is the same shit we normally talk about just without Andrea. So, to run through our great patrons real quick, I'm going to go bottom up. So, Will, Will, the real Matthew, Ty, Taylor, Scott, Phil, Parker, Nick, Nicholas, Ben from Mountain Bike Radio, Lead Out Sports, Josh, Genitalia, Jeff, Jamie, Jake, Garrett, Evan, Brad, Bill, Anthony, Alec, Aaron, Troy, Six Pack Outdoors, Mike, Brady, and Affordable Trail Solutions. With that out of the way, uh, we could dig into what's new and what's popping. And I'm going to let Kenny go first. Yeah. So I was out last week because I was traveling. I took a little trip out to Santa Barbara to go visit uh, a family member and picked up a motorcycle. Um, got a uh, kind of a in the family, if you will, um, Suzuki SV650. So went to go visit my brother. And yeah, we both had SV650s for the longest time. We probably both bought them in like 2004, something like that. So a very long time ago, but I had mine for maybe 10 years and then finally sold it and he still uh, held on to his. But anyway, he just needs it gone and uh, I figure why not do a little project. So yep, pick that up. So I'll try to get that running again. Uh, motorcycles are really neat. Motorcycles have always been a lot of fun. I think they go pretty hand in hand with uh, mountain biking, that kind of lifestyle of coolness and speed and adventure and all those cool things. So I picked that up and what else? Interesting note. I rented a truck, an F-150. F-150s are freaking everywhere. Um, yeah, not a bad little vehicle. I'm kind of surprised. It was maybe like a 2019 or a 2020. It wasn't the newest one. Anyway, thing had the freaking V8 in it. And I ripped 85 to 90 miles an hour, um, which is pretty much the speed limit, all the way to California. It's like an 11-hour trip for me. And that damn thing got 23 miles to the gallon. That is insane. I was, I like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, anyway, this that, that mile per gallon figure just blew my mind. Yeah, because the other thing that blows my mind is just how expensive... Most all cars are now SUVs, especially full-size pickup trucks. Holy shit. This truck was like bare bones. Other than the V8, it was two wheel drive, had no options whatsoever. That thing is like $45,000 or something. It's just, it's so crazy. You basically, if you want a decent four wheel drive truck, it's going to be 50 to $60,000. That's just what they cost. It's anyway, yep. bananas to me. I love my old uh, ship box. It, <laughs> But, you know, from a vehicle standpoint, nice vehicle, drives nice, super quiet, road good, good gas mileage, uh, fast, yeah, just crazy. Technology is crazy. A lot like bicycles, about how you buy any modern bicycle, and they're really, really freaking good. So uh, hats off to technological progress. That's really neat. What else? I did some mountain biking while I was out there. Um, I don't remember all the names of the trails. One, the one that we went down was, or a portion that we went down was the Tunnel Trail, which I believe is fairly popular. I think it's a really old trail that somehow people used to clear on rigid 26ers with no droppers. And it's pretty, that's a pretty damn rowdy trail, uh, but lots of fun. And yeah, I think that's all the new stuff for me. I still have not installed my new brakes. I've just been lazy. So when I do, I will let everybody know how they feel. I'm sure they'll be amazing. Any other new bike parts? New toys? I think that's about it for me. Uh, what have you been up to, Matt? 
Um, I'm going to milk this. Um, I'm only going to talk about things that I've ridden. So I got some new wheels. I ordered NVM525s because I've always wanted them. And I got them. And they're good. Um, so, so what do you think? They're good? I think they're good. I think I'm a little afraid of them in a good way. But nothing's going to tell you how a wheel set feels like riding it on a rigid bike. And it's definitely a comfortable wheel set. Try to be very diplomatic. So, meaning, like, of course, if you get wheels that are 200 grams lighter and then you put tires that are three or two or 300 grams lighter a piece on them, you might hate those wheels because the tires suck, right? So, I did my very best to, to like, be scientific. It's not, not diplomatic, sorry, but scientific. So, I, I pulled the, the big icon. So they're 25 internal and I'm running a recon race 235 and an icon 2.6. Um, I ain't scared the two six on a two twenty five internal. It looks great. Um, I wouldn't run bigger for sure, but it looks great. Um, it feels really nice. It doesn't feel like it wants to squirm too bad. I, I ran it at like 18 PSI, uh, which was totally fine. And it was, is is good. Um, but I uh, only got a handful of rides on those, and where I could order those wheels, there was no Shimano option. There was only XD or Microspline, and I'm really limited on gearing right now to what I have cog-wise for the Problem Solvers Zinger, which is an XD to single-speed adapter. So I had to run like 3220 which is a pretty stiff gear. Um, to put it in perspective, I rode with my buddy Parker and we met for a ride and he was like, yeah, I'm running 3022. <laughs> so it's not like the ride was terrible, but I definitely like wanted to walk more than he did. But all in all, the wheels feel great so far. I took those off the temper jack though. I took a lot of stuff off the temper jack and the temper jack just got like a super rowdy facelift. Um, in preparation for building up my spot. So, and I haven't gotten to ride the Timberjack like this yet, but the Timberjack has uh, DHF 2.5 front and rear because I had them um, on my DT Swiss wheels with a Fox 34 and guide brakes that have been on there for G2s or whatever I have. I can't remember. They're the same, but different. Um, Just running that setup. So the, the spot will be ridden very soon. The the spot has arrived, and the spot has been assembled to the best of my abilities so far, but I needed some tools that I didn't have in order to do some service that I haven't done before, and those tools just arrived today, but I worked all day, and Andrea's out of town, so it was like 6 o'clock when I got him out of the mailbox, and now we're recording at 8, and I had to do things like, you know, be an adult and an, an old adult and like stretch because my back's tight and like eat dinner and things like that, you know, adult things. Um, so I, uh, just, it'll probably be next episode that that bike has been ridden, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. So, so on that zinger conversion, I'm looking at it now. Mm-hmm. It takes, does it basically just, is it the exact size of a road and then you buy rotor adapter cogs pretty much. Yeah. Like they sell those cogs. They call them zinger cogs, I think. Uh, but yeah, those, you can bolt those cogs and make any disc brake six bolt wheel fixed. Okay. But yeah, the, I was hoping that they were kind of dual purpose like that. Yeah. It's pretty cool, but they only go up to a 20 or the kit comes with an 18 and a 20 and I've never ordered anything else. Anyways, the point is, is I have to order a free hub, for that bike, I needed, I need to own a Shimano HG Hydra free hub. So I have to get one of those on order, and then I'll probably run thirty four twenty two as my gear. That's my that's my target gear for that bike. So, got it. I want it to stay kind of fast. I think if I'm going to ride anything that's like super super climbing, I'll just ride my YT. But we'll see. Also, I have a really cool 34-tooth chainring, and I want to run that for very vain reasons. I mean, just to be honest, right? <laughs> hey, as, as, long, as long as you can admit it, that's the, that's the first step. If you can admit why you want to do a blingy part, because it's blingy, oh, great. I mean, I have a, a matte black frame with a matte black carbon fork, 
and I happened upon some new old stock gold level ultimates and a gold 34 tooth chain ring, like the, the XX1 chain ring that had like the gold logos on them, you know? Yeah, I remember. So like if you had like gold logoed levers, gold logoed chain ring, gold XX1 chain on your bike, like it's going to look, that's going to be like a cool looking single speed. Like, I don't care who you are. You'll be like, you might be like, that bike looks cool, but you're a fucking idiot, but you'll still think it looks cool. And I've never had a bike this awesome. Um, I've waxed poetic about why I like single speed so much, so I'm not going to do it again. Other than that, like, like I said, I got in a couple of rides, um, and it was pretty cool. Um, bikes are fun. I'm not riding as much as I maybe was like early spring. I mean, we're going into fall now, but you know, I didn't ride like, I, I don't know. I'm just finding like a little bit of fire in my belly again to like get on the bike and like ride more. Um, literally I've got my bike set up on the trainer. Like I'm touching it right now. So it's kind of odd, like where I live, it's hard to get in easy rides. So it's kind of like, it, it's just such a climb. And I know that I've whined about this on the show before, and I'm going to again right now very quickly, but like riding from my house is a pretty big commitment. You know, it's, if, if it's chilly, it's hard to start a ride by descending 700 feet in three miles. And then if you're trying to just knock out a quick ride, like you would just freeze your nuts off on the way down. And then like, there's no easy way back up to climb that. So there's no easy ride from the house. You can't just like go out for a 30 or 45 minute spin, everything like you could drive down to the river and ride from there. But like, that's also another layer of complication because you have to get in the car, right? Not to just be whiny, but like it's just kind of hard to ride from here for those simple rides. So I like the trainer for that reason because I could just hop on the trainer and ride for 30 or 45 minutes. And all I have to do is like, you know, get on the trainer and go. There's no getting really bundled up or slogging your way back up this hill or anything like that. So yeah, I just, I kind of look forward to trainer season for that reason. I find myself doing like a bunch of easy rides. And then when I do go outside, I'm just like a little bit in better form and shape for doing like some harder stuff. But I have some, some big, do you want to talk? Maybe we should talk about trainers for a second, let people know what we ride and what our luck has been with such things. Yeah, for sure. Um, Since mine's right here, I'll go quick. Uh, I have a Wahoo kicker. I have the kind that's like, I think it's the second generation. I'm not really sure. Um, It's really awesome. I only have two complaints about the whole thing. They're both very simple. Um, But one, the end caps fall off way too easy. Uh, It's kind of ridiculous. Like you literally can't, like sometimes when you take your bike off the trainer, the end cap falls off the trainer, which is kind of annoying given the value or the yeah, cost of the they product. Are, they are super loose on those Wahoos. And then the other one that I complain about is um, it's really hard to adjust it for different wheel sizes. Like there's the, it's a three-legged design and the the center leg has a little screw you take out. It's like a, a threaded through bolt thing, and you then adjust the trainer up and down and put the through bolt back through, and that is impossible to do quickly, to the point that it's made so like your front wheel sits on the floor. Like, oh, you ride. I can't read the numbers from here. I'm my eyes aren't that good anymore. Um, but I think it goes from like twenty nine down to like twenty six or twenty four inch or something. And hey, no. Jack Russell Terriers, they're asshole dogs, but they're awesome. He was just trying to get something out of the cabinet. Um, and it's made so you can just like adjust the the axle height of the trainer so you can leave your front wheel on the ground. And it's such a pain to do that I just use a board. Like I have a board the right thickness and I just slide it under the the like awning or the cabinet in here when Andrew's bike's on the trainer and I slide it out from under the cabinet and put my wheel on it because it's I've literally like wanted I tried to adjust this once and I did, I ended up not riding. Like it took me so long to adjust it <laughs> that I was like, Oh, I only had time to ride like 35 minutes. And now I have time to ride like 21 minutes because it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I'm going to have to put this back in 29 mode. Cause Andrew is going to ride it when she gets home. Cause it was like last spring before work and she was at the dairy. So I was like, well, fuck, I can't leave this in 700 C mode. I got to go back to 29 now and just leave it there. So, like, I just ended up not riding. 
And again, small complaint, but given the cost of the item, I wish that was a little bit easier and a little bit faster. But to bookend this with some really great, uh, great stuff, their customer support is amazing. So there you go. What you ride? You got a Wahoo, don't you? I do. I've got a Gen 4. So it's not the latest one that like gets all wiggly and stuff. Uh, I had a Gen... F- I say Gen 4. I had a Core. So I suppose it was a Core Gen 1, but it came out around the time of the Gen 4. And I had it for less than a year and it broke. It just like electronics fried in it or something, like just totally dead, unresponsive. Uh, they replaced it, which is nice. Just makes me nervous because they're really expensive and they have a one-year warranty, I think, one year. So just nervous. But mine's been good. It's got a decent amount of miles on it. And I don't have any major complaints. My bike never leaves it. I built a bike specifically for the trainer, so it never is never unhooked. Sure. So I don't have all the issues that you have. Oh, of course. You know, and I think that... Like, it's pretty rare, right? Like, I don't think there's many people sharing trainers out there. Yeah. Yeah, my roommates will ride it from time to time. But I've just got a dropper seat post on an old mountain bike. And then you can just dropper seat post to the height you want. That's pretty good. Yeah, works good. So, yeah, no problems. I like the Wahoo stuff. They have really good support, as uh, Matt stated. They were, you know, it was a little, uh, you know, definitely a little bit more back and forth then it was probably necessary to get mine going, but they were pretty responsive and pretty fast. Um, you know, and they paid, you know, it's annoying you have to like pack it up and unpack and all that stuff, you know, first world problems, getting your expensive stuff replaced. Right. But sure. Uh, yeah, it went smooth and it was fine. Oh, while we talk about good customer service, I haven't mentioned this on the show, but, um, I had a cork that just quit working uh second time in 10 years and I called him and I'm like, Hey, this is what's going on. And the guy was like, okay. And then I laid out that like I had done like everything that one would normally do at the bike shop level prior to calling Cork. And he's like, oh, hmm. I don't think. He's like, mm, oh, okay. And he kind of pitched it like very softball. He's like, not sure this is going to work, but this is the last thing to try before you have to mail it in. And when you remove your battery, cap your battery falls off and there's the little like contact squid in there right like there's the little like six pronged doohickey that's like where the battery contacts with and that's held on with like a one and a half millimeter allen screw and if that is rattled loose over time from vigorous mountain biking then the power meter will work intermittently and then stop working as it loosens up all the way and sure enough i got that snugged up and put the battery back in and the lights came on and it's worked every time I've asked two since then. And it was awesome because I called them and I talked to a person and the person gave me some really strong troubleshooting and it was rad. So if anyone from uh, SRAM or Quark is listening, tell Chris out in Spearfish, good job, mate, because my shit works again. So um, yeah, that was that was real good. I don't have to talk to Cork often, but when I do, it's usually like a very, very constructive, like, okay, let's solve your problem. It's it's never been like condescending, like, oh, well, you're not smart enough to use our products, you know, which I think we've all ran into those experiences before. That's that. Uh, What else do we want to cover? Do you want to knock out a couple of questions? Yeah, I think that's, that is a good plan. Oh, God. Where did they go? Uh-oh. My dog is very mad that I'm not cuddling with him on the couch. Um, let's see. So the real Matthew says, uh, I'm a big fan of SRAM brakes. I know that they have had problems, but I like them, so I run them on three of my bikes. This past weekend, I had my first issue. My guide RS lever stuck and wouldn't return. No biggie. I put the lever kit in it, and all is well again. My question is, can I do something to help prevent this, such as regular fluid change or different pads? Has anyone tried a different fluid? Thanks much for everything y'all do. I appreciate having friends in the industry. So I want to go bottom to top. Um, Has anyone tried a different fluid? Um, SRAM uses DOT 5.1, which is backwards compatible with 4 and 3. And SRAM recommends using 5.1 or 4. And because it's a DOT fluid, it's, it's regulated. It's standardized 
And if you put something else in your break officially, officially, you're going to have a bad time. The only thing I can think of is, you know, while there are regulations on what it is, it's really just about, like, you could make a higher standard that has a higher boiling point, for example. Sure. But it has to meet those minimum specs. So, for example, who knows how much oil is in this, but, you know, in the racing world of motorcycles and cars, there's really nice dot fluid out there that's going to be insanely expensive, like Motul and some other brands like that. So... You could do some research and go get some, you know, nice high-end 5.1 fluid and see what happens. Is it going to be much different? I highly doubt it. Um, you know, maybe maybe a higher boiling point, but that's not really an issue we run into on mountain bikes very often. I think that's more of like a car and motorcycle problem. So, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you if it's going to make any difference. I really doubt it. And usually when you have that stuck-in lever condition, it's only 50-50 if that rebuild kit's going to solve your issue. Because it was not only an O-ring problem to understanding, but also a slight issue with the bore. Yeah, but if the fix fixed it, the fix should be permanent. Uh, Hopefully. But it, I guess contrasting that with if you rebuilt the lever and it immediately malfunctioned, you'd be like, well, that's not going to solve it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. But it might take time. I mean, think about it. It took time for your original levers to fail. Like They weren't just bad out of the box. No, and I think that there was a big a big variance in like what was a failure, right? Like did these brakes feel weird or were these brakes not working? And I think that's the ends of the extreme, right? Like cuz there's some brakes that like I guess so. just don't feel right. And then there's some brakes that just don't work, you know, so or like the almost every failure I saw with that stuck in lever condition, they were like pretty much stuck in <laughs> to the point where they were it was not a safety concern luckily because the brakes still functioned the they would just not return after you pulled them in so eh, i don't know they seem to be pretty the ones that were failed to me were pretty darn failed you would definitely i would get a handful like maybe 10 percent of them where if you pulled the lever you could tell it was just about to lock up but most of the time they were just broken like you would pull lever in and then you can just hyperextend the lever and just flop it around. Like it just doesn't do anything anymore. Right. But I guess my point is, is, uh, you know, I was working at absolute where we were a lever consignment shop and there'd be times that you would replace the bad lever and then the good lever would feel bad. Relatively speaking. Mm. That's what I mean. Like it might not be a brake that's failing, but compared to a perfect lever, it isn't a good lever. That was the, that was something that I noticed. I gotcha. Um, all right, there's another question in here. I have to find it. All right, so Nicholas says, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Got a fucking book over here. Hey, Andrea, who didn't show up. She's out elk hunting like a caveman. Matt and Kenny, super stoked to see the show come back, and I have a ton of questions for you. I know it may be a bunch for one show. So no worries if you want to spread them out or answer via email, whatever works. Some info on me. I'm 6'2 and 200 pounds with my riding gear. Pretty active on the bike and definitely like to use my arms and legs as I soak up big hits. Not afraid to get wheels off the ground, but I'm not sending drops over four feet. I live in the front range of Colorado and I do a lot of riding in Golden and off I-70. Lots of climbing with chunky fast ascents like Floyd Hill, Maryland Mountain, North Table. I have family in British Columbia. So once a year I head up north for Pacific Northwest riding in Squamish where the riding is best described as moist. I ride a 2019 SB130 that has a DPX2 performance and Fox 36 performance fork. I upgraded the fork to grip 2 damper. Both fork and shock have no volume spacers. I'm running the fork at 150. I got a 260 HF and a 25 aggressor out back. Do my own fork services, everything but a damper rebuild, and shock service about three times a year. I got my shock damper rebuilt earlier this year at Wheat Ridge. Shout out to Matt. Anyways, here you go. Uh, alcohol. On episode 8, y'all mentioned an el elderberry gin and tonic. What's your go-to recipe? That sounds awesome. Um, that one might have to be emailed back. Uh, theft. Kenny, did you catch the guy that sniped the derailleur? Uh, it wasn't really stolen, though, right, Kenny? Yeah, that's the thing. No, I mean, there's not much we can do to track that guy down. And he did he did buy it. It was just not his to buy. Uh, that was the 
that was the problem. Though, no, we didn't. I think you just got to laugh at that one. You know, we just had to, we paid retail for a replacement derailleur for that guy, and you just got to laugh about it. Yeah. All right. Um, Suspension. My fork was feeling less than optimal when I had it set up to occasionally use full travel. Recently, I added more pressure to keep me up higher in the travel, where the fork has more volume and ramps up slower. It feels freaking good, but I lose out on that three quarters of an inch to inch of travel on an already short travel bike. Any tips on how to keep the fork feeling nice and plush without giving up travel? I shock with it, and it seems pretty on point according to the app, but I figured you may have some tips. I also had a similar issue with the rear shock. It feels good, but I'd never really hit that last bit of travel. If it matters on my fork, I have high-speed compression, fully open, and low speed a few clicks in from fully open. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, that's not a relatively short travel bike. It's a 150-130-29er. Like, that's a solid trail bike with a solid trail bike fork. I think that... I think the reason that the fork feels good, but you don't use the last inch of travel is your self-admitted four-foot drop maximum. You're you're not going to, when the fork's set up properly, you're not going to use that last inch until you, like, go deep on something a bit bigger than what you're doing. Would you disagree with that, Kenny? No, I wouldn't disagree. I think that's accurate. I mean, there's a couple schools of thought here. One is you don't always have to use all the fork travel. That's not the end of the world. It's going to vary. I think in a perfect world, you should use all your fork travel, like maybe, you know, every, every 10th ride, every fifth ride, that kind of thing. It should be an occasional, but rare thing to use all your travel. And when you do, hopefully you don't know about it. You know what I mean? Hopefully it's not like a horrendous clunk bottom out situation, unless you just made a mistake, right? Like if you case something or, you know, landed goofy, that kind of doesn't count in my book. Sure. Uh, But in your normal riding on normal trails, it really shouldn't happen that often. Uh, but yeah, if you're not, I think people get a little too concerned about that travel indicator. It's, it's really just designed to set sag. That's it. So beyond that, people try to read into it too much. In my opinion, it doesn't mean that much. So I think you're probably fine. If the shockwaves is happy and you're pretty happy, I know you're not perfectly happy with it but first and foremost unfortunately you want two things that are kind of it's not possible to get both the things that you want you can't have you can't live all the way high up in the travel and have super awesome small compliance for example it's just not going to happen the only way you could even remotely do that is you could add a shitload of volume spacers and run almost no pressure and you're going to you're going to basically wallow up in that top couple inches of travel and it'll be super active up there and then it's just going to ramp up like a freaking rock going to the bottom. So that's probably not what you want. To stay higher in the travel, you want to run more pressure. And the only way you can run more pressure is to run fewer volume spacers so that the rest of the travel feels normal. So I think you're probably honestly on the right track. I think in your situation with your riding style and the fact that you're not bottoming the fork out, I would try to keep it as linear as possible. And I would run zero volume spacers. I think you're on the right track. And then you're also on the right track with compression. Um, in my experience, the high speed compression circuit on that, uh, grip two VVC is freaking aggressive. I'm not that aggressive of a rider. I'm kind of a smoother rider. Um, I don't steamroll stuff that often, and I'm also pretty lightweight. So I run also zero clicks on my high speed, maybe one, and that's like fine. So you're going to get a lot of feel out of that high speed compression circuit uh, on those VVC2s. Sure. And the low speed obviously matters as well. Um, You know, you can definitely make a fork feel really weird. For example, if you had everything set the way you do and then just throw in like 10 clicks of low speed or something crazy, it will feel horrible. So I don't know I, from, from my seat over here, judging by your, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that you can run zero clicks of high speed with your weight, to be honest. Um, but from over here, it sounds like you got it set. You're basically doing all the things that I would do if it were my bike and I weighed what you weighed. Sure. And 
as we go through this, um, he says, my shock's been proven difficult to tune to my liking, specifically the rebound. I like rebound fast for descents, but it ends up bouncy on the climbs. Slowing it down on the climbs makes it pack up when things get rough going downhill. I've toyed with the idea of getting something with both high and low speed compression, but I'm not sure if it's worth it since my shock is in great condition. And we're going to jump ahead to where he talks about how he's essentially done like a rear lunch ride to his bike by removing the the shaft travel spacer. So it's now 137 rear. Um, so... I mean, there, I think it's also one of those things of, like, you're not going to see both. You got to choose one, and I think the thing is to pick something in the middle. Like, if I were in that situation, I would want my bike to feel best. And and one of the dudes from the path talked about this, like, setting your bike up for the braking point, right? So, like, right, like when you're going down the trail as fast as you're going to go, right before you're going to squeeze the brakes, you want your suspension to feel the very best right there. That's the highest consequence. That's the hardest to forecast and like judge, right? And then how it feels the rest of the time, you just got to deal with it. And I think that's kind of what you're dealing with with rebound. I think that's kind of what you're dealing with with pressure as well. Like, does that make any sense, Kenny? No, it makes total sense. I wouldn't, I mean, A, I would be a little scared of running insanely fast rebound on a rear shock, period. That's just my preference. I don't like being pogoed around on the back of a bike at all. Like it scares the living shit out of me. Um, I would hardly say I run slow rebound. If anything, you know, compared to, um, you know, if you push down, I, motos are just different because I think they carry so much more weight just statically by themselves. But if you just push down on the rear suspension of a moto when it's properly set up and watch it return, they're like kind of slow. And my mountain bike is definitely a little faster than that, if that makes sense. So for those people that maybe have a little experience with both, I always set my fork up where I almost get a little bit of pop off the ground, not uncontrolled, but like you can tell that front tires just thinking about popping up off the ground and maybe will just a couple mil, that kind of thing. I like a real snappy fork. And then I run, imagine that if you added from where I have that fork set up, imagine if I added two to three clicks of rebound damping to that, that's what I run in the rear. That's just me. So yeah, I'm just back to my point. It just seems like, wow, maybe, (laughs) maybe your rebounds way too fast. I think what you might be doing is you might be having to run faster rebound to account for the fact that you are deeper in the travel and riding a 130 rear travel bike the way you are. That's just my educated guess. Like you're, you're trying that bike to feel like it's got more travel than it does by adding that uh, or taking away some rebound damping so it recovers faster and then it you kind of get back to that a little bit more starting travel that's just my hunch um i don't have a great answer for you as far as the solution the solution might be that if you're really concerned about that and you want a certain feel in certain places on the trail you might just have to go with something with a tiny bit more travel unfortunately i know that's a shitty answer but you might just need a little bit more travel. You could definitely try something with a high-speed uh, rebound circuit. And, I mean, surely that can only help you a tiny bit. I just don't think it's going to be as big of a difference as you think it might be. Yeah, and I I promise I mean this in the best way possible. I think you just need to go ride the bike. I don't mean that to be like rude. I just mean it like at some point you got to stop. You got to do two things. You have two options. You either have to like go ride the bike or you got to sell the bike like that. You can't just like chase this mythical unicorn, right? Of like everything. Yeah. Cause you're just never, if, yeah, if you could make, if you could make a 120, 130 rear travel bike, feel like a 150, 160 bike, you know, people would do it. You just, at some point you just cannot. Um, and my people might groan and roll their eyes, but on, you know, I've been doing a lot more moto lately and I've got my Suron with really nice suspension on it, but that bike only has eight inches of travel. Like for a moto, that's not much travel. And the thing is great at like medium speeds, but when you start charging hard, you can just tell that the bike is not happy anymore. And you throw your leg over a, you know, <laughs> a KTM full size bike with not only two to four inches more travel front and rear 
proper suspension that's uh, you know got better chassis and all the things and even fancier valving and it just eats that stuff up better at those speeds like there's a certain point where you're just riding beyond um you're going to ride beyond where that bike feels smooth and controlled and composed once you go over a certain speed and you go start going over bigger stuff you can definitely still ride it fast i think you just have to give up that sense of perfect suspension at some point you know i don't think the people racing world cup cross countries on the gnarly courses that they're racing these days are necessarily having a great smooth ride and an awesome time but they're going real fast they're not comfortable <laughs> right they just they just have to yeah they just have to kind of deal with it so um yeah sorry that's a not a great answer but i think unfortunately there might not be a great answer well and but yeah if you want to try a different rear shock i'd be really interested to see what you think if you get that high speed uh rebound circuit i think that's the last i think you're on it like you obviously have a head for this stuff and i think you're on the right track with all the stuff you've done so if you want to try that last little thing that might make that little improvement yes having control over separate high speed and low speed rebound in this case where you can uh where you can slow down your rebound on your uh, low speed side and then speed it up on the high speed side. Sure. Like go for it. But I think it's going to be a small incremental change, unfortunately. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to throw my last little thing in before we dig into the rest of your question here. Um, you live in the front range. You do not need to go faster. Um, I'm sorry. Again, don't take this the wrong way, but like at some point you're going to end up with a bike that hauls ass so well that you're going to be bored out of your fucking mind because the trails are so busy. So, you know, if I were going to ride around in a city, I'd want to rip around on a moped because I could pin it and it would be a hoot. You know, it would be, it would feel like a riot. Right. And if I was going to ride wide open country roads, I want to get on my 450 where I can do like 75 miles an hour and it'd be like, woo. And at some point, like you're going to end up on this huge travel bike. Like if you got a 150 or some huge enduro or something like that, you're just going to say to yourself like, oh, cool. But I can't actually, like, I'm never, I'm never pushing myself because I'm going to smoke Mr. Biscuits, the off-leash schnauzer, if I go any faster on these trails. So that's just something to keep in mind. Favorite shock pump, Kenny? Let's rapid fire that one. Uh, Fox Digital. All righty. Which is not made by Fox at all. It's shared by a zillion people. But yeah, the current generation Fox Digital one, it's got like a little swivelly head, all the things. Uh, things great. I think it's 80 bucks. And I've had my, I have the previous generation and I still have it. And it's been used a lot. And yeah, it's been really reliable. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, he wants to run a 160 air shaft in his fork. I think that's a terrible idea. It's going to make the fork even more progressive, less linear. And in order to keep it from wallowing in the travel, it's going to take more pressure and you're just going to have 10 millimeters you can't use. That's my two cents. Yeah. From, I don't think the added travel is going to give you what you think you're going to get out of the fork feel, especially saying what you're saying that you have no volume spacers already, which means that now you're going, when you add travel to that, your air chamber stays the same. So you're going to get more progressive than you are now. So you're going to end up in the exact same place you are right now. Uh, so I don't think that's going to solve a problem. Uh, if you wanted to do a geometry change, like you're like, hey, I'm trying to get my BB up that little bit more or something else, okay, I guess. But yeah, from a performance standpoint, I don't think that's going to give you what you're looking for. All right, let's see. And then super thing here. I had an interesting just I heard an interesting discussion on the path about crank length and how it may scale with rider height. For example, a shorter person on longer cranks would be in a more squatted position than a taller person. Any thoughts here? Have you played around with this at all? Any advice is appreciated, Nick. Um I'm gonna hop in with like two answers. One quickly, which is um bicycle sizes do not accommodate different bottom bracket heights for different crank lengths, so probably weird. Um, two, isn't that silly by the way? Like that's, that's a bizarre decision anyway. Uh, yeah, well it's because kinematics, right? You're not going to redesign every frame size to accommodate a different bottom bracket length, right? So, or height. 
And then I've ridden 175 crank arms since 1999 or 2000. I can ride 172.5s, but I don't. I ride 175s. I don't know really how else to put that. Like, have I ever played around with crank arm length? No. Um, and I promise this isn't a knock on the path I, I, in any way. But, like, at some point in my life, I just said, like, I ride 175 cranks and I don't think about that shit. Like, I, I get it. I work 40 hours a week talking about bikes. I'm sitting here talking about bikes on a podcast. But at some point, you just have to go fucking ride your bike and... I don't have the bandwidth to think about shorter crank arms. I just, I just don't. I'm, and I'm not really like sorry about it. I, I just don't know how else to put that. So I am pretty fascinated with crank length these days, to be honest, because I think it's very obvious that the industry is moving towards shorter and shorter cranks, which is honestly probably for the best. But I like to know all the reasons why and like why one thing feel the best. And just because we ran something for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that it was good or right. It was just how it was the way things were. Um, I have a feeling in general that shorter and shorter cranks are the answer to a lot of things. But there's a lot of complexity with that because a frame almost needs to be built around the length of cranks that you choose to run. So that decision has to be made. And then the frame kind of has to be built around that for everything to work, right? Because you don't want to, you want to have that bottom bracket at just the right height. You want it to be as low as possible, as low as you can stand without bashing your cranks on stuff. So if you can keep running shorter and shorter cranks, um, you know, eventually you're going to run into other issues like the amount of suspension travel you have is going to not let you run too low of a bottom bracket. And there's a whole lot of complexities, right? But essentially try to run that bottom bracket as low as you can because you're going to get positive handling characteristics out of that. But you can't do it too low because now your cranks are going to smash on the ground all the time. So I think short cranks are a good thing and I hope that more frames are built around them. I is also a lot like Matt. I just rode 175s forever. I'm a very average height American dude. I'm like 5'10". Uh, Matt is much on the taller side. What are you, 6'2", 6'3"? 6'2", yeah. With a fairly short inseam for my height. I don't have super long legs by any means. Gotcha. But for sure, 175s probably make a heck of a lot of sense for Matt. And without a doubt, right, there's been a lot of science behind, you know, a lot of data taken from power numbers and all kinds of stuff with short cranks and long cranks. And the gist of it from what I can understand is I'm making up a little bit of numbers here, but from 120 to 200 millimeters with the average size person, they all made the same power. Now there's going to be a lot of other complexities in there. Like just cause you can make that power. Does that mean it's a good thing? Like, are you going to damage your body in some way? Is it harder on knees or this or that? I don't know. I, I am just suspecting that, Shorter cranks, if you can get away with them, are going to be a little bit better. Um, I never liked the more aggressive descending stuff. Not so much from a crank strike standpoint, but the stance that it forces you to ride. You know, with like legs very, very far apart in the attack position. Like your front foot versus your back foot. They're going to be further apart uh, the longer cranks you have. So I'm, I'm trying to slowly and slowly run shorter and shorter cranks and see if I can like stand it. Um, right now I'm only running 170s. These are the shortest cranks I've ever run. I've run 175s on everything my entire life. And just now I've got 170s. And I think I want to try 165s and just see what it's like. But unfortunately, if you start going off the reservation compared to what the frame was built around, now all of a sudden going with shorter cranks doesn't really give you an advantage because you're still sitting up real high and you're running short cranks, and that's going to force you to run your seat higher up, which makes your center of gravity even higher. So back to what I said before, the frame really has to be built around the decision on the crank arm length. Show enough. Um, and that was that, that wraps up Nick's many questions yeah, within a that was That was a lot of questions. Those were some good ones, though. Yeah, I mean, and it made a lot of great, uh, a lot of, a lot of great stuff here, but uh, I think the you know, to maybe maybe go back to what Kenny was talking about with the science, like 120 to 190, there's a lot of science that shows that it's just comfort, right? 
And like I said before, I, I can ride 172.5s. I can ride 175s. I, I don't notice a big difference as long as I don't. Like I had 172.5s on a bike for, on two different bikes at two different times in my life. And I figured out that is, it took like the second ride, I didn't notice it. But if I rode 175s, 172.5s, 175s, 172.5s, like it's just not something I can go back and forth on. And, and like, they're not all like, let's say in like rideable condition, just because of seasonality or like maybe some shit needs to be sold. But I think I have something like seven or eight bikes, right? Like at some point it's like, cool. I don't care if this is better. I can't buy seven crank sets, right? Like I have like nine specialized power saddles. If I decided tomorrow to try a different saddle and found out I liked it more, I would have to spend like, fifteen hundred dollars on saddles right like that sucks so i i don't want this to come across as like ah i'm just done trying new stuff but rather like there's a few things in my life that work and i'm just like i'm not it's like if you ask me if i would try different pedals tomorrow like no i'm probably not gonna put different pedals on my mountain bike like i'm gonna ride shimano spds and even if you gave me new pedals like i don't want to take the cleats off my shoes they're good everything's happy you know what i mean i'm just i'm just not like i sound so boring but i just don't want to fuck with my stuff i don't know how else to put it <laughs> i mean do you any other questions no i mean but do you have any of that same feeling to some degree skinny where you're just like my shit's good and i don't want to like futz with it well i have that feeling all the time i mean i love to futz with shit that's my problem and once I get something set up, I I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't get all... I basically do a couple clicks on my forks here and there and my rear shock on a new bike. I'll go ride it a couple times, do a couple more clicks, figure it out, and I don't mess with it. Um, usually my first gut reaction is the correct one. So I don't go like, oh, let's see what happens if I max this out and fully minus this. And I mean, I already know where it's supposed to be. I'm going to be... And this is not being, being cocky. It's just like once you do it for a while and you set a bunch of bikes up, I my riding style hasn't changed. My weight hasn't changed. So I'm going to get within a couple clicks right off the bat. And then I might do one ride where I get overwhelmed on something. I'm like, ugh, you know, I can definitely tell the fork's packing up or something like that. Play with some rebound. And that's about it. Like one click here, two clicks there, and I'll be done. And also... Once I get the bike set up and I get it fit and everything feels good, I don't have any weird pains or issues, I try not to overthink it. Like, I'll take a measurement here and there just to kind of like gut check myself, but also, like, the industry is changing a lot. These frames are fitting differently. Like, you do ride them. I ride my stuff very differently than I used to. If I took measurements off my other bikes that I was even arguably faster on, I'm way more comfortable and happy on my bike now. So I don't even want to pay attention to what the old stuff is. I know that's kind of, I'm saying both things here, but if I just set something up and it feels about right, or if I hop on a, a rental bike or a borrowed bike or a friend's bike or a customer's bike and everything just kind of, if it feels 99%, I don't, I'm not touching stuff. <laughs> I've learned that lesson. Like don't go crazy. If everything feels right, it's probably right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, when you talk about, like, I don't want to sound cocky, like, it's crazy how Andrea can put my, like, if I was, like, building a new bike, she can put my saddle on the post and put the post in the frame, and it's really close to where the tape measure says it goes. Like, she just knows my saddle's about right there. And, like, even I can't do that for myself, but she can. <laughs> like, she's just like, oh, yeah, your bike looks like this. And I'm just like, huh, you were, like, you know, nine millimeters off which is like really close you know what i mean like like to just slapping it in there so yeah i mean to give you an idea the first time i rode my new levo sl and it had all the stock junk on it, it was like nx stuff a rhythm fork like it had arguably semi garbage stuff on it and the not even the tires i liked it's not the grips i like it was none of the stuff that i supposedly like but i rode that thing and it was like, I was almost perfectly happy. I probably shouldn't have done anything to it, to be honest. It was fine. It was like comfortable. 
all the controls felt right. I mean, obviously I, I built the bike and I like angled all the stuff the proper way, but I, nothing, nothing pissed me off on it. I didn't get off it and was like, Oh, nope, these brakes have to come off or nope, these <laughs> whatever's have to come off. These tires have to come off. I really almost didn't care. It was great. I ride it with freaking tubes because I knew I was going to oh sell God. those wheels immediately. Um, so I didn't even bother setting them up tubeless. Like I just didn't even care. And honestly, I was, I was actually almost, I was more shocked about the tube thing than anything else on the bike. I just, I pumped up like two extra PSI front and rear from what I usually run. And I just rode the bike and it was like, fine. <laughs> it was great. I got plenty of traction. It was fine. Yeah. So hopefully nobody has a heart attack out there. But also the moral of the story for me is if you buy the right size bike, stuff is so good now. Companies don't do weird, goofy stuff. They're not going to put some goofy, sweet bar on a bike anymore. They're not going to have just completely wrong length stem for that frame size. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's a testament to specialize. Maybe it's whatever, but it's not just specialized. Everybody is getting pretty good at it. But I just threw a leg over that bike and it was, that thing was freaking great. Yeah, new bikes are pretty good. Uh, Do you want to do more questions? We're at about uh, just under an hour. No, I think it's, uh, I think it shut this shit down a clock because rocking. Yeah. Any closing remarks? Bikes are good. Don't overthink it. Uh, What else? I think that covers it. That was a good one. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, I think next next week will be full squad. So um, until then, I don't know. Don't fiddle with your rebound knob too much. You'll make it sore. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show. There's some shit coming out of here.